0: A true crime story reminds you why you are happy to be isolated from others. A small town in Indonesia finds an interesting way to enforce their quarantine. And then we kick off North Korea week with the story of Kim Jong-il. In the 1970s, he really wanted to make a Godzilla knockoff. How do you do that in communist control in North Korea? You kidnap an entire film crew Today on Dead Rabbit Radio Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio I'm your host Jason Carpenter, I'm having a great day Hope you guys are having a great day too It's North Korea week. This really came from a suggestion. I was talking to Stealthy Steve on Instagram. Stealthy Steve 45. We're talking, and he says, oh, you know about Kim Jong-un. He might be dead. It's a couple days ago. And he goes, wouldn't that be cool? Not that he died. I don't know his position on the life or death of Kim Jong-un. But he goes, if he died and then the country was opened up and we discovered all of these cryptids. And I go, that is kind of an interesting thing. I started looking into it. There are a ton of cryptids and crazy stories from the Hermit Kingdom. And we're gonna look at those this week, but I wanna give a hat, a tip of the hat to Stealthy Steve for suggesting this. Really, really appreciate it. Then We have to say thank you to our legacy Patreon, someone who supported the show for a long time, William Bertels. William, thank you so much for supporting the show. Really, really means a lot. You are going to be our captain this episode. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help get the word out about the show. That helps out a lot. Our numbers are growing because of you guys. Really, really appreciate it. William, first off, we are headed out to... Iowa. So let's hop in the Jason Jalopy, our broke-down, beat-up, Beverly Hillbillies car. I'm sitting in the rocking chair on top. That's an old reference. It's a super old reference. Maybe you guys saw the movie in the 90s with Jim Varney. But anyways, even that's an old reference. I'm in the rocking chair. William Bertels is driving, and you are seated somewhere in this rickety old car. We're leaving behind Oregon. We're driving out to Iowa. Sheldon, Iowa, to be exact. Now, this is the part of the episode where I say, if you're eating anything, anything at all, just set it down, push it to the side. Now, this story's not gory, but it's pretty disgusting. March 13th, 2020. It's a very, very recent story, right before the entire world went into lockdown. (laughs) That's all the gates shutting. The gate is (laughs) is slowly closing over the planet you're running. Hurry up, Sally, let's go. You have to do a barrel roll. Everyone's in quarantine. So, anyways, we're all hopefully very safe. All of our loved ones are doing well. Hope that is the case for everybody. But it really depends on who you get quarantined with, right? You could have been quarantined with, like, uh, <laughs> with a practitioner of the dark arts constantly trying to sacrifice you. You're like, coronavirus, take me away. There's guys coming up behind you with, a, with one of those daggers that you buy at Hot Topic that's all wavy. I don't even know what those would be good for, other than dark art ceremonies. Can you really, like, cut cheese with them? Actually, it's a good segue. <laughs> that's a good segue for this story I should be talking about. March 13th, 2020, so very recent. We're going to the Northwest Iowa Community College. Tell me that doesn't sound super innocent, right? Has the words I- Iowa in it? North? Good things always come out of the North, like the Union Army and Santa Claus. And then community college. Community, you know, a bunch of people together, and college is where you learn. So a little etymology lesson from Jason Governor today. Northwest. Oh, and west is the best. West coast, west side. So it's all perfect. Northwest, Iowa, community college. There's four young women sharing a dorm. I didn't even know community colleges had dorms, but maybe in Iowa, maybe it's so quaint down there, they allow it. Community college dorm. We have Lindsay Ann Cundiff. She's 20. We have Kyla Elaine Kastner. She's 19. We, sh- we have Ellie Thompson. She's 20, I believe. And then the victim, the unnamed victim. Now, this is definitely a story where if you were the victim of this, you wouldn't want, you wouldn't want it to get out. You wouldn't wouldn't want this to get out. So this unnamed victim, they're all living together. Now, there must have been... This, again, was pre-quarantine. So luckily, this is gross that it happened. But it's better that it happened when you could do something about it. Because if this had happened March 18th, March 20th, uh, you're kind of stuck. Those three girls, Lindsay, Kaya, and Ellie, have a problem with our unnamed protagonist. We will call her Samantha. We'll call her Samantha. So Samantha is sitting there and there must be some bad blood between Samantha and the other three roommates, right? Because this type of stuff, this type of thing doesn't come out of nowhere. I used to live with this girl back in Davis. Um, There's a long story of how I ended up there, but I ended up living with this girl. And when I moved in, there was a bag of rotten potatoes just sitting in the kitchen. Now, this is like my first day here. And I'm like, what's in what's this? She's like, don't touch the bag. Don't touch the bag. Don't touch the bag. go, why not? And she goes, because. So she had previously lived in this apartment. It actually was a dorm. I wasn't a student. I was breaking. Anyways, long long story short, I was living in a dorm with this girl. And she had previously had two female roommates. And she said, don't touch your bag, don't touch your bag. And I go, why not? And she goes, because. That bag, the first day I guess they all moved in together, that bag of potatoes appeared in it. It was a full grocery bag full of nothing but potatoes. And it appeared in the kitchen. And it's just sat there unattended for like a day or two. But then one of the girls goes, hey, um, who, 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 who bought all these potatoes? And none of the three girls admitted to buying the potatoes or carrying them in. But they all blamed each other for the potatoes. They all were like, you need to move the potatoes. I didn't buy the potatoes. This went on for so long <laughs> that the potatoes began to rot. So the bottom, the I mean, we're talking months. How long does it take for a potato to rot? Like first they dry out, and then like you turn them into a little potato clock, and then you put them in water, and little eyeballs pop out like they're science fair experiments, just waiting to happen. But after long enough, they begin to, to liquefy. So by the time I get there, the other two girls have moved away. Stephanie still won't move. I, I wasn't going to say her name, but Stephanie still won't move the bag of potatoes because the friends are coming. The quote unquote friends. The roommates are coming back at the end of summer. I was there for the summer. So I moved the potato. I go, what? She tells me this long story. And I'm just kind of looking at her. And I go, I'll move the potatoes. But when I picked the bag up, it was like starting like all soaky at the bottom. Like it was starting to melt. Like it didn't melt. If I remember correctly, I had to get another bag because I kind of picked it up and it was starting to bleh. But yeah, and like the floor was kind of messed up for a while with potato mold. Anyways, anyways, I learned a very important lesson. I was in my 20s women are filthy. I always had an idea that women were as filthy as men because I had been a janitor and I'd gone into women's restrooms and I'm like, what Cthulhu level horror was defeated by Constantine in this restroom? This is disgusting, but maybe it's just an off day. I've learned over the years women are just as disgusting as men. Anyways, so sorry I revealed your secret identity, Stephanie, but she's a great roommate and a great friend. That potato th- story, as, 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 as an aside as it was, is nothing compared to what Samantha deals with. Let's get back to this true crime story. She's having bad blood with her roommates. Her roommates decide, we got to get back at her. Now, none of them want to go to the store to buy a bag of potatoes, right? you got easier things to do. You're going to use the tools that are available for you. And what happened was, there was some grated cheese... That Samantha would use on her food. Maybe she ate a bunch of pasta. I think that's the only time you eat grated cheese. But these girls thought it would be hilarious. If they took the dried skin. Okay, this is where you can start fast forwarding. if, if, If that's too much of a trigger for you. They took the dried skin off of their feet. You know how your heels get all dried and cracked? Mine do it all the time. And they peeled off pieces of their dried feet. And put it in the shredded cheese. And then sat there. And waited. And when they're buying her extra pasta. They're like hey look we bought you all of this like noodles. And here's this designer sauce from Whole Foods. They're like making it. they're They're cooking it. Have a fan blowing the smell. She's like floating on the smell waves like a cartoon. Towards the spaghetti. Oh but you need this parmesan. So anyway she did end up devouring human foot flesh. Dried human foot flesh. Now, this is one of those crimes that nobody should have ever known about, right? You do it, and then 10 years later, when you're drinking wine with your buddies during your book club slash reason to drink wine with your buddies, you go, oh, my God, there was this girl in college who, like, was insanely lame. And then we decided to, like, peel the flesh off of our feet, and we uh, put it in her Parmesan cheese. Oh, my God, Kaya, you're so awful. I know, I know, I know. That's when you tell that story. But yeah, so she found out these three girls are being charged with assault. And I can almost guarantee whether or not they, they'll probably face like 30 days probation or something like that. Community service. They are going to be sued into oblivion. The lawsuits that they would face from Samantha, this unnamed woman. Psychological impact. Maybe you've now developed a taste for human flesh and you're having to spend every night in the sewers with your chud allies. Looking for new dried feet to eat. And then every day you go to the law office and you say, I need to be reimbursed for the time that I spent in the sewers, plus these clothes I've ruined on human feces and blood. Let's go ahead and move on to our next story. William, fire up the carboneer copter. We're headed out to Indonesia. Now, we talked about Indonesia last week. They're actually having some pretty interesting ideas. On how to deal with this whole quarantine. Because people don't want to be quarantined, right? It's against human nature. So, in Indonesia, last week I told you that they were having people dress up as ghosts and walk around. Now, there's a little town in Indonesia called S- Sregen. Sregen, Indonesia. That's a pretty dope name if that's how you pronounce it. Probably not. Sregen. That's kind of cool, too. Anyway, Sragan, Indonesia. is this little town. And what happens is a bunch of people are leaving the capital Jakarta. Bunch of people are leaving major cities to come to Sregen to hang out. Now, they don't like that because they're trying to keep a clamp down on this whole COVID 19 thing. So, you have, when you, you're fine, you're coming to town, whatever, but you've got to be quarantined. Well, people are coming to town and just kind of goofing off, messing around. They're playing, they're wrestling. They're like, hey, let's wrestle in this infected water splash, splash, splash. Let's wrestle in the sweat of people who've previously had this disease. (laughs) The city, um, this is their title, the Surajin Regency Head, and then I, I think this is the name. I don't know if this is still the title, but Kustinar Untung Uni Sukawati, Sukawati, Mrs. Sukawati. She said, "This is ridiculous. We have all these out-of-towners coming over here, wrestling around in the tears of coronavirus victims. It's disgusting. It's gross." I think some of them brought in some quote-unquote Parmesan cheese and they're trying to get us to eat it. Hey, come here. Come. So what they did was they invented a new way to quarantine people. There are some abandoned houses in the area that local legend says is haunted. This is 100% true. She said, I want you to find the scariest, hauntedest house that no one's currently living in and prepare it for a short-term jail. People were like, that's an awesome assignment. Who does it? Who would say, nah, I'm busy this week? I'd be like, yes, ma'am. I'll totally do that. Get all my ghost hunting equipment. They did. They found the spookiest house in the area that locals have... It's been abandoned for a long time and people said it was haunted. <laughs> they started arresting people who were breaking quarantine, putting them in the house for 14 days. It's, there's been five people who've been trapped in that house now. And in the house, they have it so you have your area and then there's like a six foot on each side barrier and then there's someone else. So it's not like they're just like go in there and die of the disease. Like they have it set out so you won't be contagious to others. But still, you're trapped in ha- you're trapped in a haunted house for 14 days. But anyway, so yeah, there are currently five people who have been locked up in this house. And then after the 14 days, they're free to go. They're like, "Oh yes, they put on their little wrestling unitard. They see the shimmering pool out there of the coronavirus sweat. They're like, I've "Been waiting for this." And then runs and jumps and it's like freeze frame credits roll. You know what's funny about this story? And I have this, I, I've always thought about this. I'm surprised no one's ever done it. I'm sure some B-movie company's done it, but... Zombie movie. Zombies are chasing the humans. The humans go into a house. House is haunted. And it's funny, I have that thought so much, and I watch a ton of zombie movies. Just watched a movie last night called Primal. It's not necessarily a... It, it's a zombie movie, I think. Really, really good. Really, really good zombie monster movie. It's called Primal. I watched it on Hulu. Check it out. Stylized. The first 15, 20 minutes, it's like Cabin Fever. And then once it starts, it doesn't stop. It's super stylized. It's very, very well done. Like, there are certain scenes you're like, whoa, that was a really cool camera trick. Like, what they're doing. Very, very inventive monster movie. Dead Rabbit Recommends Primal. But speaking of, like when I'm watching a zombie movie, a lot of times, like they're in the house and they're like nailing boards up on the walls. And I'm like, dude, what if a ghost popped out right now? Like I'm always thinking that. A zombie movie, they go in the house and then like there's a little poltergeist activity. First, they think like the other survivors are taking the food or moving something. Hey, where'd you put my machete? I knew not to trust that guy. No, no, it's okay, Barry. It's okay. Keep an eye on him. Because paranoia is already high because a bunch of strangers are in a house together. But then little things are... Wouldn't that be an awesome movie? That would be an awesome movie. But anyways, um, James Wan, I know you listen to this podcast, one of my longest listeners. Make that movie. What could we call it? I literally spent five minutes trying to figure out a name for the title of the movie. But I did come up with a tagline. First, they were hunted. Now they are haunted. What? Uh, uh. And then I just came up with titles like Death House or Abandon All Hope or Dead Residents. I don't know. You come up with a movie title, James. Jimmy is what I call him when during our Hollywood meetings. Let's go ahead and move on to our, now that I've pitched my movie of the episode, which is becoming quite, quite a segment on this show. Quite common. William, let's hop in the Dead Rabbit rowboat. We are leaving behind Indonesia. We are headed to North Korea. Now, we're going to have to go under the cover of night. It's not the easiest country to get into, but we do get in. We're all wearing all black ninja clothes, and we're sneaking through the jungle and or forest. I don't know what the ecology is over there, but we are there, and we're also headed back in time. Now, again, hats off to Stealthy Steve for giving me the idea for this and many more episodes this week. In in Korean mythology, and the thing is we have a lot of blends between Korea and China mythology because you have the Three Kingdoms era. Where you had these Korean kings taking over large swaths of China. And then cultural mixing and everything like that. So Korean Peninsula and China are very, very closely related. So we have myths and legends that cross the border. So that's nothing abnormal. And one of those legends is the story of the Bulgasari. The Bulgasari. It's basically... Imagine a dragon that didn't breathe fire and wasn't a huge fan of gold. So (laughs) not necessarily a dragon, but it was a monster and it didn't love to hoard gold. That wasn't what it looked for. It loved to devour iron, which is funny because let's say you're a dragon. If you you are a king or a wealthy man in Europe, a, a dragon is very fearsome for you. It's there to destroy your means of wealth. Without the gold, you're a peasant. Bulgasari is the same thing in Korea and China because you needed the iron to work. So this was a creature that was a direct threat to everyone, but especially peasants because they're using farm implements made of iron. Something goes missing. The Bulgasari ate it, says the man who has a bunch of iron like underneath his bed. Sure, it's not comfortable to sleep in, but he has all the hose that he needs. So, this creature would walk around, it would eat iron, and iron was a mainstay of the agricultural industry. You needed it. But, it wasn't always considered a bad creature. Even though it would do that, it would do some good. This is interesting, because this creature that is actively destroying their means of life... ...was also considered a protector against nightmares. Which, to be fair, having all my farming implements destroyed is a living nightmare... Like, he eats all that stuff, and you're just, like, looking at your farm. All your crops are dying, and you're like, eh, at least they sleep well at night. As long as I don't think about my starving children and my own starving self. But it also is known to cure smallpox, somehow. Maybe simply being in its presence, the smallpox would disappear. In China, Bulgasari is the Korean name for it. In China, it goes by another name, Bu Kisao. Which literally means can't be killed. So This isn't one of those cryptids that has a weakness. Like, throw a shoe at it at high noon. and it's, No, this thing, when it's coming into your town, it's eating all your iron. You won't get smallpox and you'll have a good night's sleep. And it will eat all your iron there's nothing you can do to stop it. Completely impervious to damage. Now, there is a legend that these things can be stopped if you find a magic amulet. Which is not doing anyone any good when it's headed towards your town, right? But now we're going to flash forward to the 1960s. I actually thought this story was far more well-known. I've been talking to a lot of people about this. Because I've been really excited to tell this story. And I've been telling, I was talking to Sabine. I was talking to my little brother. I go, have you guys ever heard this story before? And they're like, no, I never heard of it. I I actually am shocked. I thought this was way more popular. So this is 100% true. In the 1960s. There was a South Korean director named Shin Sang-ok. I don't think it's pronounced OK. I don't think anyone actually has their last name OK. But director Shin Sang-ok, he was a prolific film director for South Korea. He made over 100 movies, made some dramas, made some fantasy horror films. He's an award-winning director. But as time goes on, his career started to go down. And that's just a normal thing. He had a wife named Choi Eun-hee. And she was one of the most popular actresses of the 60s and 70s. It'd be like if Steven Spielberg was dating Meryl Streep, right? But, you know, 20 years ago. It'd be that same thing when they were both at the top of their game. So you have this award-winning, famous director. You have his wife, who's an award-winning actress, one of the top actresses in South Korea. But his career starts to crumble a bit. Her career kind of stalls out. They are going to get a divorce. They're separated. Things just aren't working out for either of them. Again, such is the way of the entertainment business. Kim Jong-il. The father of Kim Jong-un, the current, assuming he's still alive, the current leader of North Korea. The guy that I grew up with, not literally. I wasn't like, hey, Kim. I wasn't like his neighbor. But when I was younger, that was the... And Kim Jong-il is the one in South Park. Uh, not South Park, Kim Jong-il is the one in World Police, uh, World America Team Police or whatever, Team America World Police, whatever. He's in that, so he was the original boogeyman along with Saddam Hussein, You had and Muammar Gaddafi and all those, those are the ones that I grew up with. It's funny because they're all dead now, but when I was growing up, those are the faces you saw in the news, and Ferdinand Marcos was up there, There was a bunch of like boomer supervillains that, and we really don't have those anymore. We had Osama bin Laden, but that guy that Trump nuked, that ISIS head, I didn't even know that dude's name. It's not, it used to be in the 80s, like 60s, 70s, 80s, we had all of these Legion of Doom dudes, right? And you had, and I, it's weird. Yeah, Mo Mark, all this stuff. But Kim Jong-il was one of those. But before he was president, he was being groomed to become president of North Korea. He was the head of North Korea's movie industry. It was government run, obviously. Huge movie buff. He had a collection of 15,000 movies. Now you go, that's nothing. I have that on my hard drive. In 1970, Physical copies of 15,000 movies. movies—that—that That is an, an achievement. I would say most libraries didn't have that many movies. It, really, if they collected them at all back then, they weren't considered the treasures they are today. But he's watching North Korea's making these movies. He's making these movies in North Korea and they suck. And it's interesting because he comes to this conclusion. North Korea at this point was basically founded in 1945 a- after the Japanese were pushed out of the country. Soviet Union took over the North half. America took over the bottom half, took over, uh, allied themselves would probably be a better term for it. But So since 1945, it had been communist North Korea. Now we're in the 70s and Kim Jong-il is going, dude, our movies suck. And what's interesting is he comes to the conclusion, the reason why movies in other countries are better, because, quote, they have to earn money, unquote. He realized that the capitalist system of making movies, you had to make a good movie to get people to come to the theater to pay for the movie. And if the movie sucked, they wouldn't pay. They You wouldn't get the word of mouth. They had to pay. Now, they, they were watching movies from other countries, but obviously the big thing, France had an issue with this too back in the early 2000s. I don't know if this is still the issue, but they're like, we're getting all this Hollywood garbage over here and it's changing our country. We don't want to be America. We want to have French cinema. So they put a cap on it. Again, I don't know if it still exists, but for a while, France had a cap on it. Only 10% or 20% or whatever and a percent of movies shown could be from America. The rest of them have to be from France. So North Korea was like, yeah, you know, we can keep showing these American films, these movies from other countries, but it's changing our way of life. So how do you fix it? You want Kim Jong-il, huge movie fan, really, really wants to make really good North Korean movies. Specifically, he wanted to make award-winning films. He wanted his movies to win international awards, but he realizes that all of his people suck. (laughs) They don't know how to do it. They don't love cinema as much as he, and they are not in it for the money. Which drives competition. Choi Unhe Hee gets a call one day from a businessman. Asking if she wanted to help set up a studio. She had actually helped set up Shin's studio. And it was actually called Shin's studio. So she had actually helped set that up. So she wasn't just a pretty woman he was married to. Business partner. But anyways, they had been separated for a while now. A businessman says, would you like to help us set up a studio? And she says, yeah, sure. Goes to meet with them, Gets kidnapped. She's taken to North Korea, she meets Kim Jong-il, and he's like, I'm a huge, huge fan of yours. I love your movies, so nice to meet you. Again, she just assumed this was a business meeting, now she's in another country, and it's very, very clear to her, she's not a guest, she's a prisoner. But he takes her around to all of these like fancy dinner parties, the opera, and all these things. He's whining and dining her in North Korea, showing her a good time. Back in South Korea, Shin is sitting there. He's trying to raise funds for a new movie because he still wants to make movies. He's just having a hard time getting investors. And he hears something through the grapevine. Choi, his wife that he separated from, no one can get a hold of her. She's gone missing. So he starts to look for her, making some calls, figuring out what the police know, trying to figure out who this businessman could have been that she had this meeting with. And through the course of his investigation, he gets kidnapped. Taken to North Korea. And at that point, Kim Jong-il, hey dude, huge fan. I love your movie so much. And Kim Jong-il was very passionate about film, like he knew what he was talking about. And Shin's like, that's great and all that you're a huge fan of movies, and my movie specifically. But one, where is Choi? And two, I get to go home, right? Well, his attitude wasn't, Choi was just kind of like, I'm going to make the best of this. Like, obviously, I'm trapped in North Korea. What am I going to do? Shin isn't having any of that. He tries to walk away. They throw him in prison for three years. And then finally, Kim Jong-il lets him out, introduces him to Choi. Says, here's your wife. She was here all along. Choi finds out that she was bait. She wasn't even the main target. Kim Jong-il wanted Shin. And at this point, Kim Jong-il says, okay, here's the deal. You guys are going to be our movie industry. You're going to make the movies. You're going to star in them. And we're going to win us a whole lot of awards. Now, what do you do in that situation? This isn't like, one, you can't say no. Two, the dude's been in prison for three years, right? But what's interesting is Shin and Choi realize, and I know I'm using their last, their surnames as their first names. I apologize for that, but Shin and Choi both come to the conclusion. They're like, first off, we got to figure out a way out of the situation. Secondly, we got to make movies <laughs> until then. And thirdly, and this was interesting because I hadn't thought about this, but this would have been the political ramifications. And this is them both thinking ahead. When we do escape, no one's going to believe that we got kidnapped because both of their careers we're not doing so good. And then all of a sudden they appear in North Korea and they're making movies for the government of North Korea. If we escape, and we will, no one's going to believe that we are kidnapped. People are going to think that we actually came over here to make money and stuff. Or whatever they get paid in. People thought we were going to get paid in Parmesan cheese and we were going to bring it back. So they begin secretly recording conversations with Kim Jong-il. Where he admitted, oh, yeah, guys, we're such good friends now. Remember that embarrassing thing where I had to kidnap both of you? But look at us now. They recorded that and kept that. And that's very, very important. I wouldn't have thought about that. But they were thinking ahead. They started making movies for Kim Jong-il. They made seven in total in North Korea. And the last one is the most important one as far as this topic goes. And we'll get to that one in a second. But after the seventh movie was made, and their movies were revolutionary. One of their movies was called Salt. And it started off with a Bible quote. And that was the first time in North Korean cinema you ever had a Bible quote. But usually there were quotes from the founder of the country back in 1945. The country, I mean, it's funny to think that country has such a heavy presence in world politics. It's North Korea has been around for like 70 years. But the founder of the country, Kim Jong-il's dad, they'd have quotes starting with him. The first kiss in North Korean cinema. Was in one of Shin's movies. But anyway, so they make the seventh movie and they are winning awards. The movie Salt, that starts off with a Bible verse. That is a vicious movie about a mother. It's so bizarre. The movies seem to really, really go after the North Korean government. And it could be subversive. But the North Koreans see it as going after the Japanese or the old way of life. Salt is about this... First off, this Bible quote's hilarious. I've never heard this quote before. Quote, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salt again? That's an interesting quote. It's funny, I've always heard salt of the earth, but if it loses its salt... If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? An interesting quote. Philosophical. But anyway, it's the movie Salt, and this isn't the Angelina Jolie movie. Movie Salt starring Choi... This woman like, has, like, eight kids, and she gets pregnant, and she can't feed them, so she goes to hang herself. Like, that's the climax of the movie. She tries to hang herself while she's pregnant. And then the rope breaks, and then she realizes one of her kids, like, is killing Japanese soldiers and stealing their money. So at the end, she joins the pirates. Super bizarre. Now, you're like, that sounds awesome. Maybe, except for the whole pregnant woman hanging scene. I can do without that. Movies are very dark. And, and it was made to be like, look how horrible life was before we took charge. But anyways, they make their seventh movie. And we'll talk about that in more detail because it's hilarious. And I watched it. They make the seventh movie. They're on tour in Austria. There's like a film festival. They're on tour. Imagine being this journalist. This Japanese journalist has just gotten an assignment to interview the director Shin and his wife Choi because Kim Jong-il made them get remarried. He thought it looked better. Now before they go into the, this is luck, before they go into the hotel, they had quote unquote bodyguards with them, they're actually prison guards, armed North Koreans to make sure that nothing happens to this couple, but really it was to keep them prisoner. They're able to convince the guards to let them go to the interview on their own. They've been prisoners at this point for years and years, I think it was a, they made seven movies, so I think it was a total of about ten years they were in captivity. They are able to talk their way of the guards are standing outside the hotel. They go to the interview. They sit down. The journalist, he's probably going to ask questions. What was the best scene in that movie? Did you guys ever have a hard time working? You know, just pop culture questions. Is there ever going to be a Funko Pop of any of your characters? A hanging salt bobblehead? Probably thinking he's going to ask some ridiculous questions. They walk into the interview and they go, do you have a car? Yeah. We need to go to the U.S. Embassy now. We've been kidnapped by North Korea. You need to help us escape. And at that point, the Japanese reporter looks at them and goes, let's go. They just all get up and they sneak out the hotel. They get in a car. Now, at this point, the North Korean guards realize, wait a second. The car's like driving by. They're like giving them the finger. The guards are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why'd you do that Shin? That wasn't subtle at all. You're supposed to wear a disguise. I wanted to do it. The guards get in a car, and there is then a daytime, high-speed chase through the city of Austria, ending at the U.S. Embassy. Shin and Choi hop out of the car, run into the embassy, which is now U.S. territory. I Assuming that the Japanese journalists did as well. I don't. The North Koreans are like, "This is Austria, baby." They're just beating up the journalists. What are you going to do, America? I would have went and hung out there for at least a while, right? The North Koreans pull up. There's nothing they can do at this point. They step onto embassy soil. It's an international incident and all that stuff. Now Shin and Choi, they South Korea was like, "We don't believe you. We don't believe. We think your career was falling apart. You went over there to make some money. You, you defected." And Shin was like, I I don't want to go back to South Korea for two reasons. One, people don't believe me. He did have the recording, so people were starting to believe him. Two, he was afraid it was just going to happen again. He was afraid that he was going to go back there and then somehow they're going to kidnap him again. So he goes to America. And he's a filmmaker by heart. He ends up, his next movie he directs. This award-winning South Korean director who's made all these acclaimed dramas. He directs three ninjas, knuckle up. The story of Three Ninjas punching people in the face. And he was the, he ended up being the executive producer for Three Ninjas Kick Back and the ultimate blockbuster movie. And I'm not saying Blockbuster hasn't a big hit, but remember when you used to go to Blockbuster or Hollywood video, you would always see this movie. And I can almost guarantee you, if you went to video stores, you rented this movie at some point. It had the best title. It had the best cover. It's iconic. Three ninjas, high noon at Mega Mountain. He ended up passing away back in 2006. He was working on a film that sounds amazing. It was a musical based on the life of Genghis Khan. So I mean, dude, if you're gonna go out, go go out big, right? He been working. He ended up going back to South Korea. Um, Kim Jong-il had his name removed from all the movies. He felt absolutely betrayed that this person he kidnapped and forced to work for him would escape. But anyways, he ended up passing away before he could finish his musical. And then uh, Choi, she passed away in 2018. And that was almost a national day of mourning in South Korea. She was such a hero. Such a beloved figure. So, I know this episode's running long, but I want to talk about the last movie he made. To wrap this all up. It was a movie called Polgasari. Polgasari. See, not only did Kim Jong-il love movies, he loved Godzilla movies. More than anything. Loved monster movies. So, the last movie, and again, Kim Jong-il thought he was going to be around longer. He didn't know this was the last movie, but the last movie he ended up making was a movie called Polgasari. It's the story of a group of peasants in old, old Korea, where it's kings and warriors. And then you have a peasant class. And the peasant class is supposed to represent, again, the modern North Korea. And the king is supposed to represent capitalism, all of the wealth and all of the trappings of wealth. And the peasants are having all their iron taken to be turned into swords so the king can go fight other peasants to take their iron to turn into swords, and so on and so forth there's a blacksmith in town who refuses to go along with a plan. And he's being starved to death. And his daughter is throwing rice into the cell so he can eat it. And he goes to eat it. And he goes, no. No, I'm not going to do that. And he takes the rice. He forms it. Forms it into a little <laughs> little monster. He has a little monster in his hand. And he goes, please, gods of the heaven and the earth, don't let my people suffer such injustice. How can this go on? Please give them some type of peace. Uh, old man dies. The little monster is given to his daughter. His daughter takes it home as a memento. It's made of rice, by the way, but it doesn't look like it. It's a perfect little monster, man. And she accidentally pricks her finger while she's sewing, and a drop of blood drips on this little monster, bringing it to life. Begins eating her sewing needles. <laughs> And it's eating iron. Now, even though it's called Pulgasari, it's based on the legend of the Bulgasari. I don't know why they changed the letter. I don't think anyone really knows why they changed the first letter. But this Pulgasari, the people in town realize, oh no, he's going to eat all of our farm equipment. So they kick him out of town. But then when the army comes and starts messing with the peasants, they go, wait a second. Don't we have a way to stop the army? So they bring back the Pulgasari. And they go, here, we'll give you a couple hoes you can eat Here's some spades. Let's see what you can do. The next hour of the movie... Can only be explained this way. Imagine Godzilla meets 300. It's basically... The whole movie is just two armies meeting in all these battlefields. And then Godzilla coming in and stepping all over the bad guys. It's incredibly entertaining. And it's available for free on YouTube. It's totally subtitled. Watch the whole thing. It was really enjoyable. And it has a bizarre message at the ending. Bizarre message at the ending. Because at the ending, the peasants win with the help of the pulgasari. But now the pulgasari is hungry, so it turns back to the peasants and wants to eat all of their farming implements. Now they're feeding it. And they go. the young daughter who has a connection with this beast goes, we can't keep feeding the pulgasari. We're giving it the stuff we need to survive. How can we keep doing this? And they go, well, we owe it to him. He helped us. Now we have to help him. But they're destroying their livelihoods. She goes to the monster and says, I know how this is going to end. We're going to give you all of our iron. And you're going to get stronger. But we're going to run out of iron. So we're going to have to invade other countries. With you at our side. You can't be defeated. And you'll eat all of their iron. And then we'll invade another country. And another country. And another country. Until we have taken over this world. But you have devoured all of the iron. That's not a world that I want to live in. It's interesting because you can look at the monster, the Pulgasari, as a force of capitalism that devours the labor of the people and requires the entire world to be taken over by one government simply so this creature can continue to eat. or. Some say that Shin made the Pulgasari a critique of the North Korean government. That no amount of power will ever satisfy a dictator. Even though he may start off fighting for the peasant, eventually he wants to be emperor of the world. Or it may just be a goofy monster movie made to entertain kids in North Korea. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at Facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. Dead Radio is the daily paranormal, conspiracy, and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.